Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Road Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Shirley, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen. Each week, we will be releasing sermons and studies delivered directly from the pulpit at our church. Our goal with this podcast from Calvary Road Baptist Church is to make the gospel and sound biblical preaching more available to a wider audience. We hope that these sermons will be a blessing and an encouragement to you each week. As the scripture reads in Psalm 119 and verse 116, Uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, let's hear from God's word. Amen. Luke chapter 14 and verse number 25, we'll begin reading. I'll tell you what, let's all stand together uh, for the reading of this passage in God's Word, and we'll read this together, and then we'll ask the Lord to help us with the remainder of the sermon. Let me just say, I'm glad you're here today. Amen. Amen. And I believe the Lord is glad that you're here. And I believe that if you've come today into His house, uh, He's ready to give you something. Amen. Amen. So I hope you've come looking for some help. Luke chapter 14 and verse number 25, the Bible says, And there went great multitudes with Him, and He turned and said unto them, this obviously being the Lord Jesus, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest haply, after he hath laid the foundation, and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage, and desireth conditions of peace." So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we are so thankful today for your many, many blessings. God, they are innumerable. God, they are wonderful. Lord, you've just been so very good to us. Lord, I pray this morning, if you would, God, we've come today in your house together, assembled in your name today, and we pray, God, if you would, please meet with us in this place today. God, we pray that you'd help me, Lord, as I stand to preach. And God, fill me with your Spirit and empty me, Lord, of any pride or any variance of self. God, I pray, Lord, help me, God, to just be an empty vessel for your Spirit, God. And help me to say what the Word uh, would have us to hear today according to the Word of God. And Lord, I pray today, help the hearers today. Help every man, woman, and child that's come out today, Lord, that it would not just be another Sunday, but God, a day when the Holy Ghost would speak to their hearts and the Word would ring in our ears and help us, God, to become exactly what it is you want us to be. We love you, Lord. We stand in need of your help today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. This is, of course, the Lord Jesus uh, speaking. And as He often would do, He has offered some wisdom that would baffle the hearer. I have a, uh, a strong suspicion that as he was saying some of these things, he got some funny looks <laughs> from the crowd, amen? I have the, uh, the great privilege of not being the one who said this, 
Amen? It's the Lord Jesus who said that. And if you read verse 25, you'll find that there went great multitudes with Him. So the Lord has drawn a crowd. Amen? When the Lord would go into a city or when He would go into a new place, oftentimes great numbers of people would flock to where He was to hear what He was going to say or to see something that He was going to do. Amen? Because they'd heard the stories and the tales of, of the people being healed and of the the water turned to wine and the, the fish and the bread being multiplied. And they'd heard all these stories and oftentimes he'd go into a place and people would come when they would hear that he was there like some big spectacle. Like a small town if a famous person came into town and the word began to spread around. They would gather around him to the point that verse 25 said it was a great multitude. Amen. A great multitude of people. Uh, and as the Lord is there and, and in this place, we know that when the Lord would travel... He did not travel alone, generally. He traveled with a group of 12 individuals who we call the 12 disciples, right? Uh, these men were men that He had chosen, called out to go with Him. And these men, if you read your Bible, you'll find that they had power to perform miracles, to cast out devils and demons. And, uh, but, but in addition to those 12, there were multitudes of people in different times and in different places who would follow Him around. As the Lord was walking, as He was traveling, there would be a multitude that would just follow Him. And they would gather around Him. Uh, at times, there were others who might would have called themselves a disciple of Jesus who had come to where He was or gathered to where He was in a town or a city because they wanted to hear what He said. These, these extraneous people who would come in addition to those twelve would follow after the Lord for a short time and then usually after they had seen what they wanted to see or heard what they wanted to hear, or heard something they didn't want to hear, they would then turn content with what they had been able to see, content with what they have been able to receive, and go home to live out the rest of their lives without the Lord. Of course, we understand that these twelve disciples went on to be called the twelve apostles. That they got another title. That word apostle comes from the Greek word apostolos, meaning to send away or to be sent. And they were called apostles after the Lord had gone to the cross and resurrected because after He resurrected, He sent them out into the world. Amen. He sent them out with a great commission that they would go out into all the world to preach the gospel to every creature. And you can read in the book of Acts and even in the, in the rest of the New Testament, in the epistles, how that those apostles that were sent by the Lord, those twelve with, of course, the exception of Judas Iscariot, uh, and then they added a twelfth in Matthias in Acts chapter 1. And then, of course, we know how that the Apostle Paul is uh, called a, an apostle born out of due time in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But they were called in order to be sent, these 12 disciples. Now, these 12 disciples, uh, these 12 apostles, if you were, they were different than any of the rest of those men or women that followed after Him that were a part of the great multitude in chapter 25. Amen. I mean, we would all agree that they were different. And if we were to just say, well, what made them different? Very simply, we could say the fact that they had power that nobody else had made them different. That God had chosen them for a purpose. That they had come and they had followed after Him. And, and even after the Lord had, had, had resurrected and had gone on and ascended back into heaven, they went on to be evangelists and pastors and missionaries. Amen. They went on to do great works for God and they were sent out as those apostles who would help the the beginning, the nascent years of the New Testament church. Amen. These twelve disciples. 
But when we read about that great multitude in verse number 25, we're not just reading about these 12 disciples who Matthew 10, 1 said that they gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. But you'll find we call them apostles, but the Lord called them in Matthew chapter 10, disciples. That's what they were first. Before they were ever apostles, they had to be disciples. Before God ever sent them out to do a work, they had to first be disciples. I told you what an apostle is. It comes from that apostolos, meaning to send away or be sent. That word disciple comes from the Latin word uh, methetes, meaning a learner, a student, a pupil, a follower adherent to the doctrines of another. And on Sunday nights, we have been going through a lot of times these basic Bible, foundational Bible doctrines, and we learn that the word doctrine means teaching, right? And so a disciple, very simply put, and obviously I'm building up to something here, so please stick with me and we'll get to the message here in just a moment. But that word disciple means a student, and not a bad student. Right? You may walk into a calculus class, or well, maybe not calculus, but walk in, let's just say, a basic math class, and when you look around in there, you're going to find some of those students in there care about math. The nerds, right? <laughs> I say, jokingly, I always liked math, so I can say that, because I'm a nerd. Not, not ashamed of you. I don't have to say amen. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, so be it, right? Amen. Y'all using, y'all using amens against me now, that's a blessing. I'm just teasing. Uh, I am a nerd, self-proclaimed. But, you know, you walk in there and you see the people who like math and they're in there and they're, they're listening and they're taking notes and then you see the ones who are back there asleep. One of those are a disciple. <laughs> no pointing fingers back there. I won't say One of them is a disciple of what's being taught. They're following after what they're hearing. They're writing it down because they want it. They want that. They're not the one going, when are we ever going to use this in real life? They don't really care. They're just listening to what the teacher said. They want to know what he's saying, and they want to keep it. They want to retain it. They want to know why this means this, and that means that. And they want to know how to figure this, and they want to know how to use the Pythagorean theorem and all that good stuff. And they're paying attention, right? And then you got the one back there, and they're like, my goodness, when is lunch? You know, when is, uh, when is the bell? When is school over? Can I go home, right? Looking at their phone, falling asleep, drawing things on their paper. One of those is a disciple of that math teacher. The other is not. The other is just part of the multitude. Now, they're both there. They're both hearing. You might even say, at least in the example of, of, of our, our text in Luke 14, they're even following. Right? They've come to where He is. It says there went great multitudes with Him. Which means He's going somewhere and they're following after Him. But we also know that the Lord does not look on the countenance, right? Now, He sees the countenance, and sometimes the countenance will say something about somebody, but He looks on the heart. He knows all the way down deep what nobody else knows. And when He looked out over a multitude of people, He could hear their thoughts and see the thoughts and intents of their heart. He knew why they were there. He knew the naughtiness of their heart, He said in one place. He knows what's going on in their heads and their hearts. And so He stops And he sees all these people, and he begins to explain something to them. Not everyone who follows is a disciple. Right? 
Not everyone who comes to class is a true student and a follower and a disciple and a pupil. My growing concern as I, I read this and I, I see this, I see that, that these, these others, these twelve, they were not called disciples because they followed the Lord physically as many did. In fact, multitudes followed Him physically in verse number 25, but they were called disciples because they followed His teachings. Not only did they follow His teachings, but they believed what He said. They believed it so much that they lived their lives according to what He told them. Some of them left, all of them left their jobs. Some left families back at home, friends, their whole lives. Some of them, the only thing they'd ever known is being a fisherman. And now here they were, catching no fish, but sitting and listening to the teaching of the Son of God and preaching and healing people and casting out devils. Their lives have changed because they didn't just hear what He said, but they listened and they believed what He said. And it changed their whole lives. And my growing concern today, my growing concern this morning in Sunday school, we were talking about, um, we were talking about the existence of God and we were looking at some, some statistics and some surveys about the trends in our generation of people who are no longer associating themselves as believers in God. Around one in three individuals surveyed today uh, they, they recognize as having no religious affiliation. One in every four claim to be atheistic, agnostic, or just simply not believing or connected to any God at all. One in every four. That's a troubling, troubling, troubling trend. Here's the problem. A lot of times we hear that stuff, you know what we think? Yeah, but I mean, they're not here. Can I tell you, after being a youth pastor for 14 years, how many I have seen walk away from the church and never look back? How many adults I've seen wake up one morning and decide, you know what? I'm just not going to go anymore. My concern is this, that there are a number of people who are in the crowd at the feet of Jesus who are following maybe. Even hearing, but not believing. They're a follower, but not a disciple. In fact, I believe that it is, it is uh, telling that the Lord thought it necessary to stop and start drawing some lines to a multitude of people to let them know, not all of you are my disciples. Now, He did not say, I don't want you to be. He did not say you're not welcome here. He very simply said this, if you want to be a disciple, if you want to be my student, if you want to truly believe and you truly want to follow after me, then there are some things you're going to have to be willing to do that I know that some of y'all are not willing to do. There are many who follow after Him in those days who did so out of some desire to attain something, others to observe and see something. Their fellowship with Him was all about what they could get from Him and never about what they could give to Him or give to others. It was about something for them or, or something to make them feel a little better to, to make them see something cool or hear something good for the day or give them a boost for the week or, or whatever it may be. And they gathered there with the Lord just to get something. 
But what Jesus was looking for was some people who would be His students. People who would listen and learn and sit under His teaching and and as He would expound on God's Word, they would receive it for the truth that it was and they would believe it. Amen. That's what He was looking for. He's looking for some who would be servants, who would serve God fully. Amen. That's why He said any who puts their hand to the plow looking back is not fit for the kingdom of God. He was looking for those who were willing to be full servants of Him and the Father. Amen. To do the work of God. He's looking for those who would be His successors. He told the disciples over and over again, I'm not going to be here forever. I'm going to be leaving. I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer. They said, no. No way. We won't let that happen. Well, you don't have any say in it. There was coming a day, and Jesus knew it, when He said, when I won't be with you anymore, here, in the flesh, walking and teaching and talking. And that's why you need to hear now, because when I'm gone, I need some people, some men, who are going to go forward in that New Testament church and become the apostles. Only true disciples would fill these roles that the Lord wanted them to fill. To be servants, students, and His successors. So I want to I put this simple question to you. And I want you to ask yourself. I've been asking myself, and can I just tell you, I have found myself wanting. Am I a true disciple of Christ? Now, it's not often we would say, well, I'm a disciple. As we think of the disciples, we think of the twelve. But they went on to become apostles. To be a disciple of Christ means, like I've just told you, it means to be a student, a follower, one who believes, one who serves Him, one who learns from Him, one who lives their life for Him. And then Jesus is going to go on in these verses to explain what it means to be a disciple and what it costs to be a disciple. And I want you to ask this very simple question, am I a true disciple of Christ? We're just going to look at the first point this morning, the first statement that the Lord gives. And when I was reading through this, it was this statement, these these four words, these five words, I guess you could say, four words that the Lord said that really jumped out at me. There at the end of verse number 26, it says this, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. That word cannot is a strong word. It means it's not possible. If something cannot be, it means it's not possible. It's not within the ability of that person to be a disciple of Christ. So the first thing, the thing I want to look at today very simply is this, the priorities of a disciple. Because what we see here in this verse, verse number 26, can I just say, is a weird verse. We all agree it's kind of weird the way the Lord words it. it just, it's abrasive, isn't it? I mean, it rubs me the wrong way. Can I just tell you? I love my wife and my children and my mom and my dad. And so when I read this verse and the Lord says, hate your father and mother and wife and children, I'm like, man, that, that is, that's strong. And it seems, the first thing I want you to see is a contradiction in the Lord's statement. It seems like a contradiction 
to everything he always teaches about your family and about others, right? He says you're supposed to hate them. Well, don't that sound like a contradiction? Amen. It does, doesn't it? I mean, we'll just look at Matthew 15, 4. For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. Well, that sounds pretty contradictory to what he said in Luke chapter 14. Doesn't it? Matthew chapter 15, he said you've got to honor your parents, and if you curse them, you're going to die. And then in Luke chapter 14, he says you've got to hate them if you want to be my disciple. Well, that sounds contradictory. But we see the precedent for this commandment is, it says in Matthew 15, 4, for God commanded. All the way, and when he said for God commanded, Jesus is the one saying this here in Matthew 15. He's referring all the way back to those ten commandments, right? I mean, that is the pillar and the core of everything that the Jews believed, is those ten commandments. And they know that honoring your father and your mother is a big deal. Amen. And in that passage, the Lord's going to kind of read them their mail of how they're failing to do that. Which is, again, a contradictory teaching from the Lord, it seems, doesn't it? To the outside onlooker who knows nothing about the Lord, it would almost seem like he's contradicting himself. Now, y'all know that the Lord does not contradict himself, right? And we're going to see that in just a second. But we see the commandment, the precedent for the commandment said, for God commanded. So we see a precedent that these people that he is speaking to have heard this commandment. They've heard that God commanded them to honor their father and their mother. We know that. The punishment for the commandments. Right there he said, if any man not honor them but curse his father and mother, let him die the death. And the death, by the way, was not a comfortable way of going. It was generally taking up stones and striking them until they died. That is not an easy way to go. That's a harsh way to go. Stoning someone, that's the death. Let them die the death, stone them. Pass judgment and let us kill them for cursing their father and their mother. So we know that the commandment was so strong that the punishment for breaking it was death. So when the Lord says, hate your father and your mother, I think He's trying to get their attention. And I guarantee some people went, what is He talking about? Hate? We're supposed to honor our father. Hate my wife? Hate my husband? Hate my children? That's crazy talk. Who is this crazy guy? That's what they're thinking. But you know what he's got now? Their attention. Before, they're just kind of wandering around, following, maybe just going with the crowd. Maybe they're going because their buddy's going. Maybe they're just here. But suddenly, the Lord has said something, and they're going, wait, what did he say? We see the perpetuation of the commandment. The commandment to honor your father and your mother is meant to go even further in Matthew 19, 9, where he said, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Very simply, we know that the Lord has taught again and again and again, and will continue to do so, that you are to love others. And yet, in Luke chapter 14, he says, if any man's going to try and follow me and hate not, and they're going. So we see the contradiction here. The Lord Jesus is clarifying in, in Matthew chapter 19, 19, that we are to love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves. And so that honor of our parents should lead us to love them and to love others. Have you noticed people who honor and love their parents have a tendency to be honorable and caring to other people too? And people who don't honor and love their parents, it's no wonder when they don't honor and love other people too. The Lord is showing that these things go together hand in hand. Amen. 
So the Lord has taught these things in the past, and so at first glance there seems to be a contradiction in the Lord's statement. But then we see the contrast. Because this is not a statement of contradiction the Lord is making. He is making a statement of strong contrast. Here's not what the Lord is saying. You're supposed to hate your parents. <laughs> right? Because He said you're supposed to honor them. You're supposed to care for them. You're supposed to love others. You're supposed to love people, not hate them. It's not a contradictory statement. It is a contrasting statement. Let me give you a, 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 a parallel verse in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, where Matthew penned this statement from the Lord where he says this, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Well, let's put that together in comparison with our text verse. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. It is a contrast of how you feel about him in comparison with how you feel about anyone else. And when I say anyone else, here's what the Lord did. He named the people in your life who should be the most important people in your life. Your parents, your children, your husband or wife. That those people should be the most important people in your life. And here's what Jesus is saying. When you look at the way that you care about them and the way that you care about me, I have got to be first. Isn't that what he's saying? I'll read it again, Matthew 10, 37. He that loveth father or mother more than me. You see that? Is not what? Worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. We see he's speaking about his position in our lives. He is supposed to be first. Isn't that what we always say? God first, God first, God first, God first. That's what we say. Jesus is probably being followed by a lot of people who've said that. God first, God first. But suddenly he puts it into words in a way that makes them uncomfortable. But if they can understand spiritual things, it will quickly become clear what he's trying to say. Amen. Because they know. He's not telling them to hate their family. He's very simply telling them to love Him more than them. That in comparison with their love for Jesus, no one else should even come close. That's tough, isn't it? I mean, can we all just agree that's tough? It is. It's difficult. It's a harsh truth. It's a trying truth. But the Lord is trying to get through to this multitude of people. Hey, y'all want to be my disciple? Well, let me ask you a simple question. Do you love me more than anybody else? And you know what the answer was? For most of them, no. No. It's proven by the fact that pretty soon they'll all turn back around and go back home to the thing they love the most, whether it's their job or their families or whatever it may be. Pretty soon they will find that in the list of, we're talking about the priorities of a disciple, that in the heart of a true disciple, Jesus Christ is number one. Amen. 
And it's not something that they say. It is something that they live. We're speaking about His position in our lives. He is supposed to be first and foremost. Not second, third, fourth, whatever down the list it may be. He is to be number one above your desires, above the desires of your spouse or your children or your job or your hobby or whatever it may be, that Jesus Christ is to be number one if you are going to be His disciple. His position in our lives. Then we see His preeminence in our lives. Does Christ lead your life? Does He lead the minor choices you make on a regular basis? Does He lead the major choices that you make? Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18 says this, And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. We say, what is preeminence? Preeminence, very simply, is superiority. The highest rank. The preeminent one is the one who has the highest rank. You know what that means? They're in charge. Jesus Christ in the church and in our lives is to have the preeminence. That means He is the one who is supposed to be making the decisions. Right? He is the one who makes the call in your life. He makes the call about where you work. He makes the call about where you go to church. He makes the call about your children and the school. And He makes the call about all these things in your life, all these big things that we are having to decide. Amen. Who to marry and, and what to do in this situation. And that He is the one who is to have the preeminence in your life. He is supposed to be the head of not only your life, but the life of all the people in this church and the operation of this church. He is the head of the church, the head of the body, and He's meant to be your head. That we are all to be submitted to Christ. Now, I know nobody likes to submit. But we are all to be submitted to Christ. That's His preeminence. Does He lead the minor choices you make on a daily basis? Does He lead the major choices you're making in your life? Does He, does he lead that? Is, is Jesus the one who's telling you where to go to church and if you should go to church and where to work and, and what to do about this and what to do about that, what to do on a Friday night, what to do on a Saturday? Is He the one who's leading your life? Now, I'm not going to tell you every time you're trying to decide between Wendy's or McDonald's, you should pray about it. But we know it's not McDonald's. I mean, let's be honest. It's not McDonald's. God ain't in McDonald's, I'll just tell you. You say, well, that sounds silly, but here's the truth. If I wouldn't be willing to let God lead me in something that seems so small and so trivial, why am I to believe that we would let God lead us in something that is big, that's got real stakes? Does he have the preeminence? That's the question, isn't it? We see not only his position in our lives, he's supposed to be first, his preeminence, that he's the one who's supposed to make the decision. We're talking about the contrast in the statement between him and anyone else. Let's talk about his power in our lives. Let me ask you, let me present this to you. Does Jesus Christ, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, does God have veto power in your life? Y'all know what veto power is, right? We, you learn about it in, in school, in social studies. and The president has veto power that if some bill, some law, something comes across his desk and 
he doesn't like it, he has the ability to say, this isn't good. No. And there's checks and balances and things that will bring it back around and all that good stuff. But simply, simply put, the truth of veto power is something comes to you, and if you don't like it, you have the ability, the ability, the power to say, mm, we're not going to do that. We're not going to go in that direction. Right? So let me ask you a question. Does the Lord, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, have veto power in your life? Well, let me give you an example. We'll just throw out an example. Say, say you're at work and you're faced with a new decision such as like a promotion. Promotion at work. You've got a job, you do something, and, and you're, you're offered a promotion at work. And this promotion to you and everybody around you seems like nothing but a good idea. Better pay, better benefits, maybe a little change in schedule, but nothing too serious, and everything just seems good, good, good. It's going to move you up inside the sort of, the, move you up the totem pole in your company, in your department, or whatever it may be. But you're a Christian, you're saved, and you've often heard Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 8 quoted and, and preached on trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean not thine own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths, right? You've heard that preached, and you've heard it taught, and so you, you pray about it. Lord, you know, Lord, I got this great new promotion coming up at work. Lord, I, I thank you, Lord, I, I think this is going to be good for my family. Lord, I, I just want to, almost kind of like Balaam, when they come with all that money. Lord, it's going to be good. Lord, it's such a good thing, but Lord, I just kind of wanted to run it by you real quick, just make sure everything's good. And suddenly the Holy Spirit begins to speak in your heart, this isn't a good idea. This is not what I want for you. Now in your mind, you're thinking more money, better car, better house, easier paying my bills, right? Better insurance for my family, better insurance for my kids. Lord, why would you not want me to do this? It doesn't make any sense to me. But His ways aren't our ways. The Holy Spirit puts that reluctance in your heart and you begin to realize maybe the Lord don't want you to do that. What do you do? Now, I'm not asking you to tell me. It really doesn't matter what you tell me. What do you do? Does the Lord have veto power in your life about that job? Hey, teenagers, does the Lord have veto power in your life over who you date? Who you marry? How many children you have? I've requested prayer for a young man named Tanner Stevens who's having some issues with the brain injury, or, well, brain condition, I guess you could say. His mom and dad had three kids, Abby, Tanner, and Eli. Eli was probably 10. And Brandy, in her 40s, I think, right? I'm looking at Brooke's confirmation, pretty sure. Huh? Upper 30s, right close to 40. They had had surgery to not have any more kids, and the Lord began to deal, deal with her and her husband's heart about the fact that they didn't have more kids. They had three. And they, the Lord spoke to their heart, both of them, that if they were going to raise the kids for the Lord, especially in a day like today when there's so many kids who don't have that privilege, that they felt that the Lord was leading them to have more children. And there's a lot of people who can't. And they, they'd had surgeries to stop it and had surgery to reverse it 
and had two more children. One in her late 30s and one in her early 40s, I think. Two girls. That's veto power. <laughs> Let's go back under the knife. May not even work, but I think it's what the Lord wants. And we're in our 40s. And man, we're, you know, our oldest is about to graduate high school, and we're, we're going to start over. Their youngest is what? She's younger than Peyton, isn't she? She's Peyton's age. And they're getting up around, they're, they're walking toward 50. Mitchell may already be up or, or close to 50. I'm not sure. That's veto power. Well, I, I am a disciple. Are you? Does the Lord have the power to tell you what to do? Not make you do what he wants. Because let me tell you something, Brother Tim. Whether the Lord, you want him to or not, the Lord's got the power to do this. Make you do what he wants. That ain't what I'm talking about. That's subjugation. I'm talking about submission. I'm talking about, Lord, my life is yours. I'm yours. The person I'm going to marry, that's your call. The job I'm going to have, that's your call. What I'm going to do with my life, that is your call. The church you want me to be in, that's your call. Whatever you want, God, you are the head of my life. And I'm your disciple, and what you say goes. Does the Lord have that in your life? Does He have the power in your life that you have given Him to make the call? Or do you reserve that for yourself? That's a good question. It's a difficult question. It's a question that the Lord asked them that day. If any man would choose anyone over me, he can't be my disciple. So if you would choose this job because it's going to be better for your, your children, who would fault you for that? Brother Tim, what man on earth would fault you for taking a better job that in your mind and in all their minds would say, oh, it's going to be better for my children? You think any missionary ever packed up and went overseas because it was going to be better for their children? No. It was because they looked at their Lord and their Lord said this, you're going to be my disciple? I've got to be first. It's tough. Does he have the power, the preeminence in your life? Let me give you this, we'll be done. We've seen the contradiction, which isn't a contradiction. We see the contrast. Proverbs 3, 5, or 3, 7 said this, Be not wise in thine own eyes. That's the key, isn't it? We often quote 5 and 6, Lean not in thine own understanding. All the ways acknowledge him, he'll direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. That's what I was just talking about. Man, this seems and sounds right, but the Lord is saying something different. To be a true disciple means you follow Him and not your own wisdom. We see the condition in His statement. We'll be done here. Lord makes His statement very clear with these five simple words. If you're not going to love me more than any of them, if you're going to put your parents, your wife, your husband, or even your children over me in your life, you cannot be my disciple. That's clear, isn't it? In Matthew 10, he said, you're not worthy of me. So we return to that original question, am I a true disciple of Christ? Am I? Are you? To answer that question, we have got to hold our own lives up to the test. Is Christ number one in my life? Is he, in, is he number one above my family? 
Is he number one above my friends, my fun, all the things I want to do? Is he first? It's not a negligible statement. It's not a small thing. It's not a small thing to say, I'm a disciple of Christ. It's a big thing. It's a big thing to say, Christ is more important to me than my children. Christ is more important to me than my family. Christ is more important to me than, than, than anyone. And by the way, we serve a good and gracious and loving God who teaches us that we show our love for Him by loving our families. He wants us to love our families. But our families cannot come first. Because there will probably come a point in your life where you have to choose between what they want and what He wants. And when that time comes, you know what you've got to choose? What He wants. When Johnny and Susie say, I don't want to go to church today, you say, we serve Jesus. It's time to go to church. When Johnny or Susie say, I, I don't want to go there, or I don't want to do this, or your wife or your husband say, I don't know about this, or I don't know about that, but the Lord says this, you've got to follow the Lord. That is, if you want to be His disciple. Now, if you don't, then you can just be a part of the multitude. But it's not negligible. You either can or cannot. The Lord didn't leave a gray area. He didn't say, you probably won't be my disciple. He said, you cannot. It's also non-negotiable. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Very simply, the Lord is saying this. You can't have it both ways. You're either going to submit to me and be my disciple, or you're not. It's not negotiable. We're not going to have a discussion about it, think about it, and flop around and do this and do that. It is or it is not. It is or it is not. You are or you are not. God is first in your life or He is not. It doesn't matter, by the way, if He's second or a hundredth. If He's not first, you're not my disciple. Did y'all hear me? Because I think a lot of times we think, well, Lord, He's pretty close to the top. You can't be His disciple. Isn't that hard? It's hard. But can I tell you that God is looking for people who are real. He's looking for people who are serious. Do you know how many people heard the Lord Jesus with His own mouth stand and preach the messages that we are reading in our Bibles today? That saw Him speak to Lazarus, rise from the dead and walk out? That saw the maniac of Gadara clothed and in his right mind and never did anything for God? You know why? Because they were not willing to, to put Him first. Their priorities was what they wanted, what they wanted in their life, what they wanted for their children, what they wanted for their job, what they wanted for their spouse, what they wanted for their community, whatever maybe it was about them and what they wanted, and it was not about God and the purpose of Christ, and because of that, they never did anything else but hear and see some things. So what will be your testimony? What will be my testimony? Am I a true disciple? Or am I just part of the multitude? You'll find these people shortly thereafter turn, go home. I don't want to go home. At one point when the Lord... 
saw such a large group of people, he turned to his twelve, he said, will you also go away? And they said, Lord, to whom shall we go? I want to be a disciple. Do you? Let's stand. Thank you again for listening to the Calvary Road Baptist Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about our church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, you can find the link to our website in the show notes to www.calvaryroadbaptistchurch.com. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to today's sermon, and we hope that the Lord will use it to edify you in the faith. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, or by telling a friend. Thank you again, and have a blessed day in the Lord. Thank you.